your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on International Business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. Welcome to the Culture Matters Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whether you're running, whether you're driving, whether you're in the gym or whatever you're doing, maybe just sitting behind your desk and listening to this Culture Matters Podcast. We have an interview today and recording date today is um, 26 October, or October 26, 2015. We're on episode number 44 and on the other side there is Thomas Kessler. Uh, Thomas Kessler is partner and managing director of Global PMI Partners and draws on 20 years experience in mergers and acquisitions and particularly in post-merger integration. The importance of culture in transactions is one of the essential success factors. Thomas looks at culture beyond being a success factor and in his experience, culture should be a key decision factor when acquiring another organization or a company. He will present his view how companies can incorporate culture during strategic selection and due diligence to ensure they are considering the impact of culture integration in the purchase decision. That's the official part. And the unofficial part is that we're having a really um, casual conversation about the importance of culture, whether culture or that culture really matters. We talk about the inverted pyramid of management. And we also talk about why certain organizations brush over culture that fast. Why not just dive right into the interview? We'll do that right now. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Good morning, Thomas, or should I call you Tom? Uh, you can do both. Um, uh, yeah, given that I lived about uh, six years in New York, yeah. um, a lot of people call me Tom. Uh, some people over here in Germany call me Thomas. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, uh, both works well. Yeah, Thomas, or, or it's something like Tom, right? With an, like a Tom, <laughs> as the Americans would say. Yeah, exactly. That There you, you get it already. <laughs> yes, I, uh, I guess, I guess so. I live some time in, in the States as well, so there you go. Um, Tom, or uh, because I'm going to give you, uh, I'll alternate Tom and Thomas just depending on, on sort of where my mood uh, goes and swings as well. Because um, as you might know, or maybe not know, the half of the people that listen to this podcast are located in the United States, or at least North America, and the other half are scattered around the world. So they might be able to come from, they might be comfortable with both either Tom or, uh, or Thomas. Yeah. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself, Tom, and uh, where do you come from? Where are you now? And what would you consider being your frame, uh, your cultural frame of reference? Good. Um, just very briefly, uh, I am German, uh, currently live in Germany. Um, I have lived and worked across the world um, to quite some extent. Um, lived about six years in North America, particularly New York City. Um, and uh, worked there for um, a big four accounting firm on the corporate finance post-merge integration side. Um, and there I did get already uh, kind of a very good plan with regard to culture. We were about 23 nations yeah. in our uh, department, uh, and that was typical for uh, New York at that point in time because the business base was so international. It is. Um, it's it is very international. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, after that, we moved back to uh, Germany, where I spent about, um, in total, um, yeah, some eight years. 
before I actually moved work-wise uh, to Switzerland, uh, where I spent about four years. Um, and people always think, oh, well, uh, Switzerland is close to Germany, so there is a lot of alignment there cultural, culturally. Uh, actually, the contrary is true. Um, and, uh, it's actually a very interesting, was a very interesting experience for me personally to live there and work with the Swiss and understand kind of their mindset, uh, over those four years, uh, quite well. Today I'm uh, back in Germany. Uh, I do work for Global PMI Partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are a consulting company, the only one that focuses only on pre and post merger integration globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are 15 partners in 13 countries around the globe um, and are actually uh, growing uh, quite well with the current uh, M&A wave. Uh, is, there, is there a wave going on at this moment? Oh, well, if you look at the numbers, um, we had almost um, 2014 uh, numbers and deal values done by the first six months of 2015. Not not. Not quite, but we were, we were, we were coming close. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there is, there is quite a, um, a wave going on at the current moment, at least over the last, um, 18 to 24 months. Mm. And, <clears throat> excuse me. When you look at these, these, t- uh, 214, um, uh, mergers or acquisitions or whatever, whichever you want to call it. Uh, what are the most interesting ones? The international ones, the ones with the biggest money, the ones that, um, that do an IPO in the meantime, uh, something like that? Uh, it, it, it actually depends. And I've done national ones. My majority has been on cross border uh-huh. and I find cross border more interesting from a strategic point of view. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, you know, it goes, it all goes back or it all should go back. I'd, I'd rather say, um, to, um, the strategic reason why you're doing a deal. Mm-hmm. And only if that strategic reason is clear and, uh, precise, then I think, um, you can actually, uh, be successful in M and A, um, and part of that is is the culture element. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean of, of course that that is part of it. It's the um, I think it's a it's an underestimated part, but I think we both agree on that one. So let's let's not you and I or argue about that. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, the the other question is I have with this. You said mergers and acquisitions for the right reason. Isn't money always the reason, or are there other reasons as well? Right reasons as such. Oh yeah, there, there are a lot of uh, reasons to uh, to enter into M and A activities, um, particularly strategic reasons uh, that I'm uh, talking about, and they might be expanding into uh, another territory. Um, a lot of times, it is getting actually um, uh, products into your product pipeline faster than you could develop them yourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be a roll up strategy where you are in a fragmented market, uh, and you are, con- you're acting as a consolidator. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be either acquiring additional capacity or divesting of, uh, additional capacity. It could be, um, really buying something that, uh, at a very early stage, mm-hmm. um, that you will then, uh, 
bring to the market and um, help uh, the product to be successful ultimately, uh, which it would have not been without uh, your help. So there are a, a number of reasons um, that M&A really uh, makes sense. I would reckon that uh, the word ego, going for a, a merger out of ego would not be the right reason, but does that happen? Um, yeah, absolutely. Because I want to own you or I, I just dislike you, so I'm going to buy you or something like that? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I dislike you. Um, I don't um, know. I'm exaggerating but, some to some extent as but, well, you know. Uh, there, there are a number of studies. For example, um, uh, Wake Forest, Ohio State University, and University of Pittsburgh did a study a couple of years back mm -hmm. about uh, 12,000 transactions in um, uh, North America. Um, they looked at a 20-year horizon, um, everything above uh, 1 million, mm -hmm. and they found that collectively those 12,000 plus Uh, transactions had destroyed about 220 billion in value. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, only 87 destroyed close to 400 billion. So that means that essentially, um, 97% uh, or more were actually generating value. Mm -hmm. And if you look at that, uh, then you are asking yourself, what is the DNA of those that actually destroyed value? Mm -hmm. And those that destroyed value were bought in a bull market mm -hmm. that outperformed their peers, mm -hmm. uh, used stock as um, a uh, financing instrument, and were clamor acquirers. And when we talk about clamor acquirers, we exactly address what you just said. Uh, clamor acquirers are those boards or CEOs and boards that decide to buy something for uh, it's shiny, uh, okay. outside and because it looks for, good. Yeah. And not for the strategic reasons, yeah. which they should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have, you've touched the word, uh, you've mentioned the word a couple of times. And of course, this is the culture matters podcast. So we both think that culture matters. Otherwise, I guess you wouldn't be here. What would be your definition of culture? For me, culture is, um, a set of entrenched behaviors. Mm -hmm that characterizes how a company gets things done. And I'll probably repeat that. It's mm -hmm. a, an entrenched, a set of entrenched behaviors that characterizes how a company gets things done. And if you think about the, this, this sentence, then you understand that values and a vision um, can typically generate behavior. They don't have to, but they can generate behavior. They should generate behavior. Yeah. So, and that's before, sorry for interrupting because that, I think that's an important, important thing uh, when it comes to clarity when we're talking about this definition. Because I look at culture as being a coin. And on one side of the coin, you have the national cultural differences, which would be the difference between what you just mentioned, say the German culture and the Swiss German culture, yeah. or the Dutch culture, which would be my culture, and then your German culture. And on the other side of that same coin, you would have organizational culture. And I would assume that you're talking about organizational culture in this case. This is your definition of organizational culture. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so where does this leave? Because this is a, and I'd like to hear it from, from, because I have my own thoughts about this, but it's much more interesting to hear them from you. Uh, a lot of organizations say in, in an organization. So talking about organizational culture, take IBM as a, as a global company mm -hmm. or what have you, Lufthansa. Well, that's a German company. Um, 
But I mean, let's stick to IBM, for instance. They talk about our values are such and such and such. Does a company have values or is that nonsense? Or is it only stuff that they do? I I don't think that it's stuff that they do. Uh-huh. Uh, I think to the contrary, it's important for a company to have values mm-hmm. and to exemplify in their behavior those values because those values ultimately enable, if they are lived, uh, enable a vision to become real. Um, and uh, we did that, for example, in one of our last uh, transactions where we had a carve-out out of a large, fast-moving consumer goods company mm-hmm. and integrated them with a family-owned um, uh, fast-moving consumer company uh, goods company in the United States. And there we actually pu- uh, pulled out the values that this U.S. company has mm-hmm. and explained those to the people in a multi-colorful uh, way uh, and so that they could actually start relating to those values and starting to live those values. It was important for us to have the executives exemplify and live and show and demonstrate um, how these values are lived because that made them emotionally touchable or reachable for the new employees. And they understood then, okay, this is what they want. This is how they tick. This is how, be, uh, this is how decisions are done. This is how we should behave. And that moved the entire business, uh, significantly from a low one digit or single digit um, uh, a growth company into a solid uh, double-digit yeah. uh, growth company. Can, 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 you, can you give us an example between the difference of the difference between a, a value that a company has and behavior or an attached behavior that a company has? Mm-hmm. Um, for example, one of the values in, in the case that I just talked uh, about was speed matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and speed matters. Speed and speed in, in, in bringing stuff to market. In, in bringing stuff to market, uh-huh. but also in taking decisions. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And um, so that is a value. Uh, speed matters. Mm-hmm. But it, as I said already, it, it is not um, just kind of touching, bringing new products to market, bringing um, products in a uh, good um, supply chain way to the market. It also means taking fast, fast decisions, the right decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, if you look at that, it's clearly behavior based. Yeah, it is. It helps me to understand, okay, if speed matters, then I need to organize myself in a way that I can actually take fast decisions, that I'm actually part of uh, the process that brings new innovations quickly to the market, that I'm part of the process that ensures that delivery is always punctual and on time to our customers. Mm-hmm. And then it's, this is, um, I'm thinking about, I'm looking at a, a slide that you sent me before, prior to this, um, uh, to this discussion, because you, if I'm not mistaken, you measure culture on 13 dimensions of uh, organizational culture, correct? Um, that's right. Right. Uh, the, the slide that I uh, sent you before um, the conversation was sent to you with one um, specific uh, point. 
a lot of times culture tends to be on the back end of a transaction. Yes. And I actually disagree with that very strongly. In my mind, um, and that's what I've been uh, discussing, uh, teaching and um, implementing with my clients, culture needs to be there in the very first minute that we decide, based on our strategy, we will need to acquire a business um, in a specific segment. If that strategic decision is done, then I need already kind of a set of cultural attributes that will describe who I am, how our company ticks, what behaviors are valued in our company. And I need to start searching the selected targets that might be of interest to me and need to start researching about how do they fit so that I can find out how closely or how separate are the behavior traits within the two organizations, my own and the one that I will acquire or that I'm interested in acquiring. Are, are you then saying, um, Thomas, that you're looking at this um, with all due respect, like from a dating agency, like first, who are you? What do you, you as in plural as an organization, what do you look like? What makes you tick? And then go out uh, into the market and see, okay, in my realm of business or whatever I'm doing uh, to, to, well, to make money to whatever my objectives are, these are potential good partners for me that I could work together with that, that we could maybe... Um, well, marry in terms of a merger and acquisition. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I, I was talking more from a from a corporate point of view. Okay. Uh, so, in other words, um, our corporate board has decided we need to grow wire acquisition. Yes. If we, as Global P, my partners, would come in uh, to this picture as an advisor mm -hmm. uh, on integration topics, I would already start at that point in time asking um, the deal team that was uh, put in charge of this transaction to analyze around a number of um, criteria such as internally focused, right. externally focused, informationally closely managed, information widely communicated, hierarchical, flat structure, decentralized, centralized, and, and a number of others to kind of think through how would you describe yourself? And then would ask them, okay, and who do you now have on your long list that you might be actually interested in acquiring? Yeah. And then ask the organization, please, when you get in touch with these guys, um, first of all, when you identify them and understand why you identify them and understand what are their behavior traits around the same categories that I just mentioned, um, and when you uh, contact them and when you do the due diligence up to signing throughout all negotiations, keep on updating that slide because it will give you, it will tell you a story where you started mm -hmm. and where you ended up and how closely essentially you're aligned in a number of culture traits and Potentially in two, three, you, you might be far apart, yep. but then you know, these are the two, three that you need to watch and that you need to manage. Yes. Makes perfect sense. I, I was going to shout hallelujah, but this is exactly what, 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 uh, what you mean when it says this should be important, um, should be on the agenda from moment one. 
Yes. Yes. Now, this is a, an excellent segue in, into a burning question that I keep on having and um, that I ask a lot of my, my guests that come on this podcast as well. Why do companies brush over culture so quickly? Why do they, using your words, do not make it important from moment one? Why is it always or tends to be that either they neglect it completely or they come and only, you know, later on it's like, oh, maybe it's culture. I think companies are too focused on numbers. Mm -hmm. Companies are too focused on market share, on the sense of actually uh, making the deal happen. Uh, and they believe that um, the HR element, as I sloppily call yeah. culture, which it is not, yeah. um, will be dealt with by the HR workstream later on. And that's just not the case. First of all, I think culture goes way beyond HR. Mm -hmm. uh, culture is everything in an organization. As we said, how they take, how they create decisions yeah. the, uh, and, and the behaviors leading towards those. Um, so it is more than HR. And um, yeah, this, this focus on pure numbers, making the deal work, making the finance, uh, the, the financials right um, is in my mind a wrong um, focus. Yeah. But how do you convince companies then or people with, cause you don't convince a company, you convince an, an individual or a group of individuals that this stuff is important and that this, that culture really matters. Well, just take, uh, you can take a very simple example. Um, think about a company that's organized top down, very hierarchical. Yeah. And think about what you find more and more these days, um, and particularly uh, in the Netherlands um, and the United States also, is a V-shaped organization, which is essentially a flipped around pyramid where the CEO is at the tip of the pyramid, but it, he's now, because the pyramid is flipped around, mm -hmm. at the very bottom. Mm -hmm. And his objective is to enable his board, and the board's job is to enable their um, direct reports and their direct reports to enable the managers, ultimately up to the customers, to make everything work. So if you look at these two pictures, so to speak, mental pictures, mm -hmm. a top-down pyramid and the flipped-around pyramid, aligning those two is some task. And if you don't align them, then you will have delays mm -hmm. in terms of decisions being made because everything has to go through one uh, desk, uh, which might be um, the CEO or um, might be uh, business unit leaders or might be even a plant manager, depending on what it is. And um, just take this example and explain it to your customer and you will see that they immediately get the point that if we don't focus on culture, if we don't focus on how people tick here and on the other side of the fence at this point in time, we will not be able to make it work quickly. Yes, I, I can almost see you pointing things out with your hands when you're explaining this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even yeah. though it's only radio or audio. So yes, yeah. fair enough. Is there, could you identify, I mean, you say you have 20 years of experience in, um, in M&As under your belt. Why do managers, it's 10, I have, I put managers between air quotes. I'm air quoting myself now. Um, 
why they say managers say I have so much experience. I know it all. You, you can't tell me anything, Thomas. Uh, I've, I've done this before. What do you say to those people? Um, very good question. <laughs> you, you want some time to think? I have another question. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's absolutely fine. Um, why do you need an external consultant to do that? Because you have in an organization, you have relationships and within those relationships, um, uh, creating change in those relationships needs a certain distance. Mm-hmm. Think about it. If you have lived for 10, 15 years in an organization and you've always reported up to um, the plan manager, for example, mm-hmm. and it's, it always had to go through his desk, every decision had to go through his desk. Um, how would you react if you're now all of a sudden given the freedom to uh, take actually the responsibility that you have by your position mm-hmm. and take the decisions uh, and make the decisions yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, you will see that people will not immediately actually take that freedom on, board, uh, on, on and accept that as a given. They will still continue to do what they have done for 10 or 15 years. And the reason for that is that it's difficult for them to adapt to change. Others may actually gladly welcome that, but overextend it. Yeah. So you need to actually have someone from the outside that has a different perspective and can steer and help facilitate in that change process that's actually going on. Yeah. It's, it's it's still a com- it's a complicated discussion to have with with an individual who is not convinced of the importance of this, don't you think? Um, sure, but yeah. ultimately, um, what you can show is this is what we have done. These are the results, mm. yeah. And you can show kind of um, cases where you have succeeded with that. Um, if the person doesn't want to buy it, the person doesn't want to buy it. Sure. Yeah. End of story. I mean, um, that's uh, that's ultimately a decision uh, to be made by um, the consulting purchasing organization. Yes. If coming back to uh, because because otherwise we could just have a discussion because we are both convinced about this the importance of this topic. And suppose we have we find a client that says, okay, this really makes good sense. This culture matters thing. This is important to us as well. How do you assess the general culture within a firm? How do you, how would you do that? Um, first of all, I would um, use the, um, the the 13 characteristics that we talked about earlier. Um, yeah. That would be one way of um, understanding it on a high level. Yeah. But then there's also the possibility the moment we are going more into individuals and trying to kind of coach them from transitioning from uh, company A culture into companies B culture. And um, that requires a different set of um, thinking and analyzing uh, the behavior of and the behavior preferences mm-hmm. of that individual. Um, first of all, you need people that are of the mindset, not I can do that, that are of the mindset, I will do that and I prefer to do that. Mm. Those people that burn for a new position uh, have typically the willingness to change and to adopt change. Yeah. So those people that say, I can do it, um, 
may not necessarily have that um, that capability uh, to change. And therefore, you need to understand um, how they're actually knitted around three dimensions. The I, how they understand themselves, um, how they understand their role, and how they understand their element within a system or the system. Um, so on the self side, it's um, the basic driver for passion, the ability to be real and authentic, the relationship driver um, showing kind of the character uh, that they have, mm -hmm. to be empathic, to be to have self-esteem. This would be kind of um, analyzed with uh, questions that should um, give us answers to how the person sees uh, itself. Mm -hmm. Then uh, on the role side, uh, we would need to dive into how they view their role in the world, how their socialization is is structured. Um, we would need to look at success orientation and practical thinking, uh, because that would be demonstrating how they live uh, their role ultimately. And then if you, we look at the systemic uh, point or the system point, we need to understand the systemic aspects like getting things done, uh, structured thinking, goal orientation, and, and things like that. If you can analyze a human being in that way, you know where the um, possibilities are that this person has, and you know where the difficulties are. It's, it's, and, yeah, yeah, sorry. And you coach and you coach them uh, within a new organization and a new culture to transition from A to B. Sorry. Is, would this be your your way that Jim Collins describes in his book Good to Great on on getting the right people on the bus and the wrong people off the bus? Yeah. Okay. And, and 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 there is a nice uh um and probably a little bit also kind of rude but uh way of saying it. Yeah. Uh but um particularly to that comment that you're making, first rate people typically hire first rate people. Second rate people typically hire third rate people and third rate people hire morons. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's a, that's a straightforward way of putting it. Yeah. It's a very straightforward way of putting it. And obviously as that's why I said it might be considered to be a little bit rude by some cultures. Um, but ultimately it's, it's very true to the point. The more fear I have of losing or risking my job in a new, um, organization because of a merger, because of an acquisition, yeah. um, the, more I'm prone to actually be a second or third um, uh, creator. Yeah. And um, therefore, uh, it's really important to pick out people that are really top-notch uh, to be in the leading positions. And th that's a threatening part, and that's why people don't do it. Would you agree, but, would you agree with that? But that's what is needed yeah, yeah, yeah. to move an organization forward. Yes. And um, when you actually bring two organizations together, uh -huh. you have so many overlaps that you actually have the opportunity to do that. And even if you go to the extent, um, like I've uh, been involved in, in transactions, where you pair up managers to run for a certain period of time, an organizational um, aspect, mm -hmm. and then choose the better one for that position. 
but don't necessarily let the other one go if that person was also very engaged and very switched on. Mm. Um, but you give that person the chance to actually take on another role within the organization yeah. that's also um, adapt to uh, that uh, person's yeah. capabilities. Then you are actually showing an organization, this is what we value, this is what we want, this is where we are going. Yes, and so other people can recognize that, and that's that's how you grow your organization with the people that you need to have, the, getting the right people on the bus. Yes, yeah. Um, one of the um, we've been talking like uh, for little, uh, almost half an hour more or less. So I'm, I'm sort of segueing towards the uh, the end of the um, uh, of the interview. I have a couple of more questions. How can companies incorporate culture during strategic selection and and their due diligence process to well to ultimately focus and, and move towards success? How can companies do this people do this um i think we need to go back to um this first um cultural attribute um uh, yeah profile that that i was talking about mm-hmm. uh, really understand um around a number of of cultural attributes like internal focus individualistic short term focus mm-hmm. information closely managed flexible and informational um, hierarchical, decentralized, um, employees viewed as cost, uh, continuous improvement, risk-oriented, autocratic, entrepreneurial, efforts-focused. And then the, advice of, the, the, the flip side of, of that list, essentially. Um, and, and, and these are just, just on the side note, these are the, uh, the 13 dimensions that you use as an organization to measure organizational culture. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. And, and, and use that from the very get-go. And, and, and establish with your deal team one few, it takes you probably 45 minutes to an hour to hash that out the first time that you look at a company and you get some information from them. You talk to some salespeople or someone that knows the organization, how they tick. And then, uh, you have that, um, uh, kind of, uh, stake in the ground. The moment you get in touch with them, you have negotiations going on, you have management presentations, you have um, uh, crossovers in terms of, or uh, contact in, in terms of the due diligence. Mm-hmm. The moment you're actually um, uh, have that relationship or have those relationships forming and, and understanding a little bit better how they tick, you just update that list on a continuous right. basis. And you see where you are at and where they are at and you see how far apart you are or how close together you are. So that, that ass- initial assessment becomes actually like a working document or work in progress. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. It has to be. And, and it needs to be uh, a document that that helps you to identify, okay, these areas we are good at, we can work mm-hmm. this out, it's perfect, and these areas we are far apart. And then when it comes to ultimately evaluating the deal mm-hmm. and whether you want to actually put money on the table or not, this chart should play a major role in your decision-making and not only the amount of money that you're going to pay the um, opportunity to build another brand, um, expand into another territory. Now that cult- that cultural assessment uh, needs to actually um, uh, be a very essential point in that decision. Uh, a good a customer of ours actually said, um, and I like that very much. A uh, couple of uh, months back, culture eats strategy for lunch, and. Yes. Um, what he essentially says with this is 
the better you understand how a culture works um, and how you as an organization work and behave, the better you will be actually able to implement your strategy. If you don't know how your culture works, forget about strategy. Yeah, forget about the risk. Forget about taxes. Forget about legal. Forget about, well, economies of scale and stuff like that. It's going, going, it's, it's likely going to go uh, belly up anyways. Well, belly up, but you understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it's nice to talk to somebody who already has the same conviction as I have. It's always uh, always good to agree on these uh, these kind of things, I guess. Um, and Thomas, to come to come to the end uh, to this interview, how uh, how can keep people, or rather, give us three tips if you can t- for people or organizations to become more culturally competent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good question. I think, um, and, and yeah, I like like that uh, a lot. Um, first of all, I think you need to be open and um, actively listening and um, taking note what you see is a cultural behavior trait in the other organizations that you're about to acquire. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that is really um, a key point. You need to understand that culture, that's the second uh, tip that I would uh, You need to understand that culture is a major success factor in making a merger or an acquisition work. And we have seen many, many uh, examples where this did not work. Daimler Chrysler, just to to mention one, but I don't want to even go into uh, talking too much about names. Are, Are there good success examples, success stories there as well? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I think um, the transaction that um, I recently worked on um, where Jack Links, a US meats company, bought two brands from Unilever is such an example okay. uh, where they have done that extremely well. Yeah. Um, they're today headquartered in Amsterdam, uh, so in, in your home turf. Yeah. Uh, and they have done that very well. Um, another example that I would mention where it worked well is when T-Mobile in the Netherlands bought Orange in the Netherlands. Uh, they made um, uh, that transaction very successful and uh, to a large degree also because they were extremely clear on what they expected culturally um, from uh, those people that actually stayed within the organization. So, um, second tip was be really clear that culture is an important element um, to um, uh, to do uh, or to to integrate. And then third is have people on board that exemplify your values, your behavior sets that are important for your organization and that live them and show them, demonstrate them, make them emotionally touchable. Um, to the people uh, that are being onboarded because only then um, will someone else understand it. You can teach a lot. You can um, make kind of people uh, go through training sessions and so forth. Unless the people see and learn and do it themselves, they don't understand what it really means to live the culture of the acquiring company. Yes. And therefore, I think the people aspect is really important. Show them how it's implemented. Show them how to live those those, those values, those behavior traits 
and that culture that you want to be exemplified. Wonderful. Excellent, um, excellent points. Uh, they'll be in the blog post as well, uh, in the accompanying blog post to, to this podcast that you're currently listening to. And you can find that on culturematters.com. And then just look for uh, Thomas Kessler and episode number 44. That's what we're currently recording. Thomas, if people want to get in touch with you, how could they do that? Well, um, <clears throat> two ways. Um, email, uh, Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S dot Kessler, K-E-S-S, like in Sam, L-E-R, at G-P-M-I-P, Global PMI Partners, so G-P-M-I-P dot com. Or they just can text me um, at plus four nine one seven two two five five nine seven eight eight. Can you repeat that one more time? Sure. Plus four nine. One seven two two five five nine seven eight eight. That'll be in the show notes as well. If you didn't get that uh, after repetition, you can again go to the, um, the the show notes and write that down from there and get in touch with uh, Thomas. Thank you, Tom, for your time and uh, talking about how you as uh, an individual see culture and cultural differences as well, why it's important and what your company can do to that extent to help organizations as well. Because you and I, I think we're both on the same side. We both um, agree that culture matters. Thanks again for your time. I'm pretty sure we'll be in touch in the future. Well, thank you very much for uh, the interview. Uh, was a delightful time uh, and uh, good questions. And always happy to um, talk about that topic because it's really dear to my heart. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to you. You're welcome. Take care. Bye bye. Bye now. Thank you, Tom. Or danke, Thomas, for this interview. For the interview, it was uh, nice talking to you. It's I always have to sort of cut these interviews short because uh, I also realize that you, as an, as an audience, are listening to this and you might not have all day. But I could talk about this really for a really long time, and I think Thomas could do as well. So thanks again for uh, your sharing the insights with us, the audience, as well. If you like this, what we do, and you are in the gym, then um, tie a knot around your uh, your pinky and something like that, and get back and. Why don't you give me uh, write a comment on the website culturematters.com go to find episode number 44 otherwise you can leave a review and a comment in itunes and if you do and if it's a positive review which i hope you would then it would expose this podcast it would get it higher on the list and more people could actually take advantage of this all right well that's it thank you very much for listening next week we'll be back or i'll be back with a content uh, podcast which um haven't decided on the topic yet but, uh, well, I'm going to make it as interesting to you as possible, as always, of course. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode. The Culture Matters Podcast, helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences.